0: So tonight's text is 1 Kings 18, verse 45 to 19, verse 8. The last time in the Elijah series, we looked at probably the most famous passage, the most famous story about Elijah, where Elijah was on Mount Carmel, he faced off with the prophets of Baal, and he won. The Lord showed his power in fire, and Elijah came out the victor. And the story continues now, beginning at chapter 18, verse 45. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, and the wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rose off, rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. This is God's word for us tonight. So the NBA Finals wrapped up a couple weeks ago in historic fashion. The Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors were playing a best-of-seven series, so the first one to win four games is the champion. And four games into the series, the Warriors had won three games, and the Cavaliers had won one. And no one, no team in the history of the NBA had ever come back from being down 3-1 in the finals. So most fans, most sports writers just buried the Cavaliers. The series is over, they said. And as you watch some of the interviews with the Warriors players, you almost had the sense they knew they'd won. You almost had the sense they wanted to say, you know, this is really easy. I don't know why they're even showing up for the rest of the games. But then they actually played the last three games, and the Warriors lost the fifth game, and the Warriors lost the sixth game, and the Warriors lost the seventh game, and they lost the series. Up 3-1 to in the finals in a situation where every team before them had won and closed out the year, victory seemed certain, And instead, victory turned to defeat. The finals went backwards for the warriors from how you'd expect. And that's how our passage for today goes too. Backwards from victory to defeat. We usually like stories that move from failure to success, from defeat to victory. That's the usual story arc, the type of thing we like to hear. But the stories of our lives often move in the opposite direction. Things come together for us. And then they fall apart. After success, we find another failure. After a great spiritual victory, we find ourselves again experiencing defeat. That's Elijah's experience in that story for tonight too. So let's see what it has to say to our lives today. So at the end of chapter 18, those first couple verses that we'd read, Elijah has won the greatest victory of his life. In the contest between the one prophet of the Lord, Elijah, and the hundreds and hundreds of prophets of Baal, Elijah had won. Baal did nothing, and the Lord sent fire from heaven, consumed the offering, and showed that he truly was God. And so Ahab rides off, and the Lord sends heavy, heavy rain, which is another sign, by the way, that the Lord is God. He had withheld rain for years, and now he sends rain. And as Ahab rides off to Jezreel, the power of the Lord comes on Elijah, and he runs ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. And the way I've always heard this story is that that was kind of one last contest between Ahab and Elijah, and Ahab wins because he outraces the horses. But I don't think that's really what that section is trying to say. This isn't isn't one last contest. It's not a race. It's an alliance. Elijah is running ahead of Ahab like a messenger or a herald would run in front of a king and say, the king is coming. On the mountain, the Lord won. On the mountain, the Lord defeated Baal and all of his prophets. And so now Elijah is running in front of the king of Israel, and the indication there is that the Lord has won the king over. Elijah would have been running there in front of Ahab thinking, finally, everything is going the right way. Finally, the king is in line with the Lord, and we are going to see a true change in this country. Elijah feels just how the disciples might have felt when they finally realized that Jesus had risen. The night was over. The dawn had come. The powers of the world had done their worst, and they'd been defeated, and victory was here. But then we come to 1 Kings chapter 19, and suddenly Elijah feels victory slip away into defeat. Ahab runs home, and he tells his wife Jezebel what's happened and what he did that day, and Jezebel doesn't take that very well at all. So she sends a messenger to Elijah and says, By this time tomorrow, I want you dead. Now, on the one hand, this wasn't an idle threat at all. Jezebel had arranged to have probably hundreds of other prophets of the Lord slaughtered. So Elijah had some reason to be concerned. But on the other hand, Jezebel is really overplaying her hand here. The Lord has just shown through fire and through rain that he's the true God. The people have declared their allegiance to the Lord and they've slaughtered the prophets of Baal. Elijah and Ahab have come down from the mountain together in a victory parade. All the indicators are that Elijah is on the winning team at this point. And if if Jezebel had really wanted to kill Elijah, she probably would have sent soldiers or an executioner, not just a messenger, to come and give some threats to Elijah. So it seems like Jezebel isn't actually ready to come after Elijah, She just wants to scare him off. She just wants to make some threats and hope she doesn't have to confront him because right then it looks like she would lose. And how does Elijah respond? Elijah panics. Fresh off his victory on the mountaintop, he experiences Jezebel's threats as a sign of sure defeat. And so he admits defeat and he runs for his life. Just when it seemed like everything was coming together for him, this one threat breaks everything apart, and he runs away. Now, that's a pattern that happens in our lives more more often than maybe we'd like to admit. Just when it seems like we've won a great victory, the next day we experience a defeat. We've maybe sometimes had hope that our country will truly turn and follow the Lord's ways, and there's been sometimes, maybe the last few years or decades, that we could really feel like, yeah, the country's on the right track. But I know many of us look at the last few years, the last few decades, and we really despair. We see evidence after evidence after evidence that the country just isn't going the way we want. And maybe it's not going the way we think the Lord should want either. Now, the past always looks better than it did when it actually happened. But you can see why believers might look around our country and look around the world and feel defeated. And if we look at our own lives, I think a lot of us, maybe especially in high school and college, but throughout our lives, we have these great mountaintop experiences. You go on a retreat or you go somewhere and there's great music and maybe a really inspiring speaker and you're really challenged to live out your faith and you commit or you recommit your life to Christ and you think things are going to be different this time. But then you go back home and you're still the same person and your family still has all the problems it had before and your friends are still the same bunch of people they were before and there's still all the school assignments or the work things you have to do and all the troubles you thought you were past come back. And so from that mountaintop victory experience, you come back down to the reality of defeat. And for Elijah, that sense of defeat moves on to despair. He wins the victory, and he finds another fight waiting for him. And so he just gives up and runs away. Now, it seems like Elijah probably was, probably was too quick to pull the plug. He needed to be careful. He needed to not, you know, not get crazy. But he probably could have faced down Jezebel and won at that point. The death threat wasn't anything new. It certainly wasn't reason to give up and run away. We don't know what Elijah was thinking. Maybe, maybe he thought Jezebel would just give up and give in. Maybe he thought Ahab, against all prior experience, would finally stand up to Jezebel and get her and her gods in line. Whatever he was thinking, he seems to have some sort of probably not very realistic expectation. And then he runs away. And verse 3 says he runs for his life. And the text tells us that he goes to Beersheba in Judah. He leaves his servant there, and he keeps going and going. Now, Beersheba was the last stop on the way to the desert, on the way to the wilderness. So when Elijah gets there and leaves his servant and keeps going, Elijah is resigning as a prophet. It's hard to say exactly what was driving him at this point. Maybe he's just tired Maybe he's lost faith in the Lord. Maybe he feels like he just doesn't have him in it, have it in him to keep fighting ruler after ruler, God after God, battle after battle. We don't know what Elijah was exactly feeling, but he was in despair. So he runs off. He resigns his prophetic office, basically. He lays down under a tree, and he says, God, please just kill me. Elijah feels done. He feels like he has nothing more to offer the Lord, and he feels like the Lord has nothing to offer him except death. So he lays down, he gives up hope, and he falls asleep. Elijah really isn't living up to his role as the prophet of the word of the Lord here. In chapters 17 and 18, the first parts of the Elijah story, we see again and again that the word of the Lord came to Elijah and guided him in what to do next. And we see miracle after miracle, victory after victory. But now here so far in chapter 19, the word of the Lord hasn't spoken. Elijah is not doing anything with God's word at this point. He's doing his own thing. When things got really tough, Elijah stopped listening for the word of the Lord, and he just ran off and gave up. So on the one hand, we can be kind of hard on Elijah here. We can say he really wasn't carrying his obedience all the way through. But on the other hand, maybe we can be sympathetic. Maybe we can see how at this point, Elijah would have reason to be pretty down. He's won a great victory, and then things don't turn out how he wants. And when those tough circumstances come, it's hard to hold on to hope. When we're defeated, it's easy to give up and despair. You know, if you just look through the bulletin week after week here, you see story after story of people who experience really, really tough things. And there are a lot of things, even just in our church here, that don't make the bulletin. A lot of struggles that go on and on and on. Life, is hard, and living in faith is hard. There are a lot of times when it seems like despair is the most natural and the most sensible thing to do. And I think that's especially true if we treat the gospel as too shallow. If we say that faith must always guarantee the victory, then we're bound to despair when we experience defeat. If all we ever tell ourselves are stories of Christian triumph, then we have no resources to deal with the times that we experience setbacks. A number of writers recently have surveyed and written about the beliefs of young people in America. And it seems like there's a fairly consistent pattern that emerges from that, that a lot of young adults in America, and even maybe even especially young Christians, believe that God is nice. And that God just wants everyone to be nice, and if we're all nice, we'll all be happy and have great lives. You could call it the gospel of niceness, if you want. But that gospel has no power. There's a summer theology program at Emory, Emory University in Georgia, and the director of that program takes 30 or 40 teenagers every week, every year for a few weeks and works through some pretty heavy-duty theology. They have service opportunities, and they really get into the grittiness of life and faith and how this can work together. And the director of that program, Beth Corey, said a few times that that gospel of niceness, it just doesn't work. Kids who come and they think, you know, God's a nice guy, and if I do what's right, I'll be fine. Everything will be good. I will experience nothing but success and happiness in life. That gospel of niceness has No power when we experience setbacks. And so kids come and they ask at this program, well, why Why are my parents getting a divorce? Why did my best friend kill herself last month? Why in this economy, even though I've worked as hard as I could and been a good kid, why is there no real hope that I'm going to get a decent job? If we really ask tough questions in our lives, it's easy to land in despair. And if we don't really go deep with the gospel and what the Lord has to teach us, it's easy for us to think, well, the gospel doesn't really matter for my life because my life isn't nice right now. And so what can it possibly say to me right now? But when Elijah's in that situation, when Elijah's been defeated and he's in despair and he can't hear any good news or see anything good, when Elijah's in that situation, the Lord provides for him. Even though Elijah probably didn't have good reason to run away, even though Elijah's being disobedient, even though Elijah's resigning his job, even though Elijah is basically saying, forget you, God, just kill me and be done with it. Even when Elijah is at that point, the Lord delivers him. Elijah says he wants to die and he lies down under a tree to do it. And then an angel comes to him and says, get up and eat. And there's an interesting feature of the Old Testament Hebrew that the word for angel is actually exactly the same word as messenger. Angel, messenger, exactly the same word. So the only way you tell which is which is by context. And if you remember in verse 2, Jezebel sent a messenger that threatened Elijah with death, and this causes this huge crisis of faith, and Elijah runs away. And now here in verse 5, another messenger comes, And verse 5 doesn't tell us where that messenger came from. It just says a messenger or an angel. Read it how you like. But a messenger or an angel came and gave Elijah food. When Elijah was wrecked, his daily bread was provided for him. When he had given up hope and had nothing left, he had enough bread and drink to eat for that day. So Elijah gets up and he eats and drinks and then he lays down again. And then the messenger comes a second time. And then in verse 7, it says not just a messenger, but it says there explicitly, a messenger of the Lord. And this time, the angel tells Elijah, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And then Elijah gets up and eats, and this time around, this time around, the food and drink give him what he needs to keep on following the Lord. And then the text says that Elijah got up and he had strength enough to journey on for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Mount Horeb. Now, it's not quite clear there if the angel provided food for Elijah once and then for 40 days and 40 nights he could travel, or if the angel kept providing for Elijah on the way. But what is clear is that the angel of the Lord was miraculously providing what Elijah needed when his own resources had totally run out. I don't want to overload this point too much, but I think it's really important to see that pattern that the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, comes twice to Elijah. When Elijah was stuck in despair, when he had laid down to die, the angel of the Lord came to him and just gave him food. When Elijah's resources had run out, when he had nothing left, when he wanted hardly anything to do with the Lord anymore... The Lord didn't come and scream at him. The Lord didn't tell him to get up and get going right away. The Lord sent a messenger with daily bread. And then the next time, the next time the messenger comes, then he gives Elijah daily bread and also a call. The first time was just enough to keep Elijah going. The second time got Elijah back up to speed and able again to stand up and to follow the Lord. When we're at the point of despair, the Lord provides what we need. And sometimes all we get is just what we need for today. Sometimes in hard times, the Spirit works in our hearts just enough to know that we haven't been forsaken. Not enough to have everything we need to get back to full speed and to really follow the Lord and have the victory again. But when we're deeply defeated and despairing, sometimes the Lord gives us just enough. Just enough for that day. Just enough for the next step. And in those hard times when we receive encouragement, we don't always see the Lord's hand at work, but all the time in those hard times when we get that phone call we need or that email or that gift, the Lord is at work. The Lord never leaves us alone, even when we're despairing, even when all we want to do is go lay down under a tree and die. Sometimes, often, even after great spiritual victories, we experience spiritual defeat and even despair. For his own reasons, the story of the Lord's work in this world and in our lives is not one great big upward movement to joy and happiness There's victories, and there's defeats. The Lord blesses us with many mountaintop moments, and he also walks with us through many dark valleys and into many, many deserts. But even in those hard places, the Lord does not abandon us. Ann Havard was a college student a few years ago when she attended that theology summer program at Emory University, and she had had a tough road the couple years before that. Her father had died of cancer when she was just a freshman in high school. Her best friend had died of cancer a couple years after that. It was tough. Life was pretty dark for a long time. But instead of giving up, Anne dug deep into the faith, and her church and her family helped along the way, and she spent time in God's Word, and she dug, and she dug, and she dug, and she did things like go to summer programs where you spend weeks studying theology and going to homeless shelters and things like that. She really dug deep. And at the end of that summer, when a reporter asked her, how did you keep going? When you were in the midst of all that darkness and defeat, what kept you going? And Anne said a little bit about church, family, those sorts of things. But really, she said, it's the Lord who carried me through. The Lord carried me through. And especially the Lord's suffering on the cross. Even Jesus went through suffering and darkness. And in Jesus, we see the Lord coming to us when we are out of hope. Jesus is the Lord's messenger who came to us when all of us had nothing left to do except lay down and die. When we feel lost and alone, Jesus, our Lord, comes to us and he gives us hope and he gives us, with, he gives us the encouragement and the strength that we need. It doesn't always happen on our timeline. It doesn't always happen in the way that we want, but the Lord always meets us in the desert. And the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the true gospel of the Lord Jesus, crucified, died for us, risen for us, can stand up to the toughest challenges, to the hardest questions you can experience or imagine. Often in our lives, victory is followed by crushing defeat. We often have reason to despair, to give up hope. In one way, we can look back and say, Jesus on the cross won the great victory over evil, but in another way in our lives, we often see evil seem to win. We aren't at the end of the story. There are lots of twists and turns, lots of hard things coming up. And we should expect, we should expect to experience times of defeat and even despair. The Lord's work always, always faces resistance. The Lord's people always are a target for the forces of evil. This journey often feels like it's far, far too much for us. But the Lord continues to deliver us. The Lord continues to deliver us. Defeat after defeat, no matter how many times we enter the desert and feel like we just want to give up, the Lord continues to deliver us. And the Bible assures us that someday, someday there will be a victory after which there will be no more defeats. The day will come when Jesus will return and he will do away with evil forever. So we wait And we hope for that day. We rejoice in the victories we have. We expect some defeats. But whatever comes, the Lord delivers us. The Lord is our God and he delivers his people.